0: restoring the identity and migration principles and exiting Egypt without fear. So we're dealing with Passover principles um, and we're examining the case study of how Israel left Egypt. The leaving of Egypt is not simply a dramatic narrative, not a nice story, not simply um, good material for a movie. Embedded within the narrative are serious principles that we must extrapolate. You must draw it out. You must extricate. You must look behind what is apparent and see the hidden principle. What is God trying to teach us? By allowing Israel to have suffered that. I say that to say this. It's because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians that everything that was written aforetime was written for you and I. For our learning so everything that happened to israel god permitted simply to give the new testament church a case study or a message for them to hear he who has an ear must hear what the spirit is saying to the churches so the old testament is not a dead book it's not a dead letter it's it's a it's a covenant it's a it's, a, it's an Old Testament filled with narratives, incidences, stories relating of God's dealings, primarily with a nation, Israel. God said, I did all of that to give my New Testament church a serious message. So every time you read something in the Old Covenant, you must always ask yourself, what is the principle behind the story? I can read the narrative, but what? What is there that God is saying to to me so that I can, can learn? For example, it says this about Israel in the book of Jude. It says God, Jude's only one chapter in the New Testament. And Jude comments on that incident. And he says this, God, after delivering Israel or his people from bondage, sought to kill them. Why would God go to such great lengths, spend 40 years preparing a man, a deliverer in Moses, lead them out with mighty signs and wonders, and then seek to destroy them. It was because of their unbelief. So there are, there are serious lessons contained in that for, for you and I. Egypt can be representative of many things. The scriptures are replete in, in uh, characterizing Egypt as a house of bondage. Everyone say house of bondage. So, bondage is any kind of serious limitation. It's when you are vexed with no expression, you are curtailed, you are, are limited in a sense. And they were slaves for 430 years. Right? And so, they, they only knew slavery. And they only knew work for a taskmaster in the person of Pharaoh being driven by slave drivers. They would get up every day with this identity. I'm a slave. I work to build somebody else's empire. The person that I'm working for whose empire I'm building is opposed to God and his purposes. So I'm in a place with the wrong identity, I'm being employed. I'm using my energy to do things. And at the end of the day, I am not being true to what God has called me to do. Hmm? And I need to break out out of that, that identity and destiny, wrong destiny, and come into a new place. So what did God say to Pharaoh? I know I'm being repetitive on some issues, but I need to repeat this. God said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh what? God said to him, let my son go. Let Israel, my son, my firstborn son go. What is the release? Out from what and into what? It's out from slavery into sonship. They never knew sonship. All they knew was slavery, which was the inaccurate identity. God is saying, so all the drama, all the 10 plagues, and, and the, 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 the final 10th one, the killing of the firstborn, all of that drama was for one purpose. God was trying to bring to his people an entire nation, a restored identity of who they truly are in him. Because environment, history, for them 430 years, has robbed them of who they truly are in God. And whenever you're identity is dented you'll always do the wrong thing Hmm? god never called you to build cities egyptian cities and uh pyramids right so there were two things wrong with them. they were they had the wrong mindset of who they are and they were being employed in the wrong activity let my son go let israel go my son go my firstborn son. Let them go that they might worship me or serve me. Amen. And I, I feel um, in, in our corporate journey, I want everyone to really come up to appreciate who you are in Christ. Let nothing rob you of, an, of, of your God-given, your God-ordained identity in Him. You are God's son. Tell your neighbor, you are God's son. If, you, if, that, if that truly is more than just mental assent, you're not just agreeing because I said you must say it. But when that truly becomes a revelation to you of who you are in Christ, it will set you free from any kind of limitation. So what does it say of uh, Moses, Hebrews eleven twenty-seven. It says, by faith, anyone say faith. It says, by faith Moses left Egypt. Egypt is a realm you must leave. Egypt, with all that it does to one's identity and destiny, must be left. So, by faith, and what is faith? Faith is the substance hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. The word of things is in italics, in Hebrews 11. So most people say, ask them, what is faith? They would say, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It should read, faith is the substance hoped for. The word of things is in an insertion by scholars. It's not in the original text. Ask your neighbor, what is faith? Now, respond. Faith is the what? Substance. Not of cars, houses, buildings. Faith is the substance. hypostasis in the Greek, which means the very essence of who God is. Faith is the substance hope for, the evidence of things not seen. Come back to Moses. By faith, he left Egypt. If you ask Moses, what is your view of faith, Bru, He would differ markedly with the contemporary Pentecostal understanding of what faith is and how people use faith. He would say, by faith I left an inaccurate system. By faith I left a domain that sought to imprison me. By faith I left an experience of life that sought to rob me of who I truly am in Christ. By faith I left wrong employment. I wasn't called to do that. Neither were my people. By faith I pursued something God always had in store for me. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we walk by... How do we walk by faith and not by sight? Faith is sight, but faith is sight into the unseen realm. So we walk not by natural sight, we walk by sight into the unseen. Please, whenever you think of faith, think of sight. He who has faith sees something that most people do not see. There are realities about God's nature and purpose that the man and the woman of faith sees. And that is why his actions might seem ludicrous to the person void of faith. Because he's functioning not by his environment. He's functioning by what he sees in the unseen realm. So it says, Moses, by faith forsook or left Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, Pharaoh. If you're ever going to make strategic decisions, the element of fear must be extracted from you. The Bible says the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. So when God calls you to do something, you've got to pursue it, not fearing the repercussions of man. So long as you please, so long as you please God, and so long as what you claim to be faith, has a source in a word from God. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? By the word of God, right? So long as faith's source is in what God said and what God opened your eyes to, you can embark in practice upon an activity that reflects what faith you have because you saw something. Let me complete the scripture. By faith. Moses left Egypt, not fearing the wrath. You see, when there's fear, fear cancels faith. Have you ever been in the place where you know God said something to you? That you must do something. But then the carnal mind creeps in. And it brings, you start to rationalize and you start to calculate the cost of your decision. And then it it negates faith. It erodes faith. It takes away from the initial commitment to do whatever God said. That is why Thoma often says, in the season, it's a season of obedience. And not really faith. There abides three things. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, I'll talk about that, that verse in a moment. The greatest of these is love, Everyone say obedience. What does obedience mean? If if God says, do this, obedience says, I will submit to what you say, not putting what you said as a consideration to be negotiated in my mind. The moment I start to do that, I take away the possibility that I will ever obey God. Hupo akuyo is the Greek word for obey or obedience. It means to, I bow and I bring myself under the sound of the word that I heard. Everyone say, (laughs) hupo akuyo. Right? I bow and I I bow in obedience or obeisance and I submit to what I've heard without uh, rationalizing. Now, unfortunately, when people base their lives on faith only. Faith has the element of rationalization or the possibility of you you vacillating. Right? That is why James would put it plainly. James says, if you say you have faith, but no works, where is your faith? Works is faith's evidence of faith's presence. So for me, obedience becomes evidence of the facts that faith was present. But let me just say this to you. You must train yourself because faith grows. Not so? The Bible speaks many times about faith growing. Right? You must train yourself that whatever God says, I will do. I will not factor into my mind any consideration for the outcome of my, my, my decision to obey whatever he has said. Whatever he has said, simply, oh, simply do it. I believe, you know, the Bible says? By faith, Moses, and like I said, faith's evidence, faith's presence in Moses, is evidence of his commitment to obey God at any cost. When that is in place, the Bible says, he did not fear the reaction of Pharaoh. The consequences, even be it death, were inconsequential to him, So long as the commitment to obey God was strongly entrenched and in place in his life. Now, will you obey God at any cost? Hey? Not fearing the wrath of the king. Now it says this. Let me quote the scripture. By faith Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of Pharaoh. For he endured. Everyone say endured. For he endured as seeing him. Faith, sight, as seeing him who is invisible. How can you see something that's invisible? That's why there's a sight that is not normal. There's a reality that is not normal. The man of faith is a committed, formidable... um, His his view cannot be altered. Once he's heard God... Even when external environments contradict what God said. Remember Moses? Not Moses, was it? Abram. Romans 4 says this. Abraham did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. She could not bear kids. God said, you will be a father. Yes, God's word and faith comes by hearing the, the word. Father of faith is Abraham. The, the icon of faith in scriptures is Abraham. The Bible calls him, and the Bible says, you and I must walk in the same steps of faith as our father, Abraham. For him, all he did, he heard God. God said, you will be a father. Environment, and what does faith do? Faith gives you sight. The substance of God fills your being. His, his, His natural environment said to him, "Ain't no way this is going to happen. In fact, everything in your world is militating against the fulfillment of what God said. Whether it will come to pass or not is conditional upon the fact of whether you permit it as a consideration. The moment you bring it into your faculty, you start to rationalize what God said. So what did he do? I think, what if Sarah came to me and said, you know, Abe, how is this going to work out? I am an aged woman, past the the age of childbearing. My womb is dead, 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 dead. Barren, right? The Bible says, and Paul is writing, Paul comments on this in Romans chapter 4. He's writing about Abraham's experience. Everything written in the Old Testament was written for the New Testament church. Paul is commenting on an Old Testament story, and he says this. By faith, he did not consider the deadness of of Sarah's womb. In other words, he did not bring that negative issue as a factor into his mind when he chose to believe God. What the Bible says, the next verse, for he believed God who calls those things. that are not as though they were. Hmm? You see, when, when you function by faith and you have a reality within you, You will start to position yourself and you'll start to take actions um, even in contradiction to the prevailing environment. The Bible says, you know, I like this. Romans 4 is our most powerful chapter regarding faith. I did not plan to teach on faith now, but let me just just go with the flow. It says this. He did not stagger at the promise of God. You know, who does this? Drunk man. He did not stagger... At the promise of God through unbelief. But he was strong in faith. Tell your neighbor, stop staggering. Stop staggering. Walk sure-footedly. Walk toward what God called you to do. Do it confidently. And as you go in obedience to what God said, even when something comes your way that threatens you to disbelieve what God said, don't wane or stagger at the promise of God through unbelief. Why did Israel not enter the promised land? The Bible says two things fear and unbelief. Lack of faith. Right? No faith, unbelief, and the issue of fear that so beset them. Remember the 10 spies were sent? They came back with a negative report. Right? I know God said, we know God said, this is our land. But what we see, environment, natural things, are dictating whether we will believe him or not. Okay? Can, can I just share maybe one principle? From of what I believe to be four factors that were present at the Exodus. That allowed them to go out from Egypt at the timing of... The exact set timing of the Lord. Amen? Uh, let me list them to you, but we'll prosecute this matter possibly more, more thoroughly next week. I'll list them to you, and then I just want to talk on one, perhaps, to, today. The first thing is that, which we'll talk about just now, is that God prophesied it. Prophecy, a word from God. Secondly, the sins of the surrounding heathen nations had reached maturity. I'll show you that next week, Had reached maturity. Thirdly, Moses by now had been sufficiently, thoroughly prepared to lead them. God took 40 years. Think about it. God, you see they came out at 430 years. Not so? In the 430th year, they left Egypt. If you do the maths, it means that by... If you go back 40 years, the 390th year, God said in his mind, I need Moses to come of age. He was about 40 years old himself. And he still, as a prince in Egypt, the Bible says in Hebrews also, that says, Moses, by faith, refused. It says, by, let me quote it correctly. Tell your neighbor he's quoting correctly now. <laughs> he has it in sequence. By faith, Moses When he became of age. Of age, technically speaking, it was 40 years old, right? But in the spirit, the spiritual principle is when he reached maturity. When he reached a sense of awareness. Hey, I wasn't born for this Egyptian palace. There are people that I feel an association with the Israelites. and know possibly I'm one of them my brothers. And there was something in him that knew he was a Hebrew. Right? And the Bible says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Right? So there's a realm of sonship you must refuse. Not all sonship is godly. Because even Egyptian households of faith There there, there are some churches that are basically houses of bondage, houses of bondage in the spirit. They have father-son models, but it's purely um, manipulative. It's coercive. It's um, where sons serve the ambitions of a father with misguided motives and building his own empire. Now, that realm of sonship you must refuse. Moses refused. Oh, by the way, how can you be fathered by a system that God's about to destroy? Hmm? I like the scripture that Mark read. If we listen carefully in Hebrews. It says, that which is old is soon passing away. That which is obsolete. Remember the word? That which is obsolete is soon going to be removed and passed away. Right? And there's something in Moses that must have realized. Hey, God... You might not have known all the factors, but I believe. You know, sometimes you know certain things in God that you cannot even intelligibly articulate. There's a knowing in the spirit that the mind of the the rational mind of the human cannot sort of succinctly capture. Right? How often did you make this statement? I always knew that. But you might not previously have known it even articulated it but when it happened there was an internal knowing of the fact that it, it that, that knowledge was resident with within you and moses must have known the system god's about to judge when he became of age i refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter and it says he chose rather to suffer affliction with the children of god than to enjoy the pleasures of sin which only last for a season Amen. So Moses had been sufficiently prepared. Tell your neighbor, God is clever. <laughs> You've got a clever God, I tell you. God is a genius. No one can out clever our clever God. He's a master. Eh? He's wise, all-knowing. He's, a, he's the ultimate mathematician. He's, he's reasoning. It's 390 years. I did prophesy in, to, my, to my friend Abram in Genesis 15 that they will be in bondage for only 400 years. And, but we know there was 430 years. And there are reasons for that, which I'll explain later. But God surmises. He says, hey, it's 390. I better, st- I, I better ensure that this awareness hits my son Moses. Yes, he will act out of his carnal flesh and kill an Egyptian. In his, he always knew, delivery instincts are in me. Maybe he went about it the wrong way the first time. And that drove him into the backside of the desert. For how long he was there? Forty years to be fathered by who? Jethro. Right? Just receive mentorship and training at the backside of the desert. Right? So God works all the sums out. Everything... The four factors, which I'll share the other four with you, had to all come to the head simultaneously. And none could have been left out. Otherwise, the whole plan would have been foiled. Right? So, everyone say, God prophesied it. Then Moses was, what did I say secondly? Um, the sins of the heathen nations, I mean, sin in the surrounding nations were at its height, it became nauseating to God, and in God's mind I'll show you this next week God needed the nation of Israel as a standard by which to judge the others. Read Second Corinthians chapter 10 tonight. It says of us, of you and I, that God will punish all other disobedience only when your obedience is complete. Tell your neighbor, God needs you as a standard. You see, the basis for judgment, God will be unjust simply to judge sin without giving people a view of what it is to be righteous and holy. you find this in the judicial system. Whenever you bear judgment against something that is inaccurate or erroneous or wrong, There's no vacuum. You can't do that arbitrarily. You can't do that simply willy-nilly. You've got to have a standard by which you judge the inaccuracy. Whether it's behavior, whatever crime, whatever, there must be a right pattern of behavior firmly entrenched by which to judge that which is erroneous. Not so. So God, in order to judge the Philistines, the Amorites, all of the other Canaanites, and dispossess them, judiciously, Legally, in a sense, you had to have a people that would reflect his name, his nature, and his character. Right? And I'll show you the scriptures next week. You know, I'm, I'm just so excited. So, listen, when you leave today, next time you are tempted to disobey God and sin, say, no, I can't, because I am the standard. I am the beacon. God is waiting for me to perfect my obedience. So he can punish other disobedience. He's got no judicial, legal right to punish others when his own is in disarray. Judgment must begin where? At the house of God. God cannot judge the nations if the house of God is in turmoil. So our lives have got to be so right before God. Isn't the world in turmoil? You heard of the recent Paris incident, right? The world, is, the world is reeking. The world is ailing. Creation is groaning. Systems are failing. God needs a standard by which to judge everything. You are that standard. You are that standard. Let me just say this to you. You are, your, you are God's standard in your family, your extended family. You know how many family issues people have? I'm talking about the broader extended family. Brothers, sisters, cousins, uncles, aunties. Put everyone together. Every family got a story. <laughs> Amen. Does your family have a story? <laughs> hey? Every family got some issue. And you know who becomes the bearer of light amidst family issues? It's sons of God in that family. Become the standard. And I want to encourage you. Represent Christ in the midst of your family. Over this festive season, families often gather and come together. Or maybe some don't because of issues. But I want to encourage you, you position yourself as the light. Become the standard and, and allow God to, to work through them. So God prophesied it. Okay, I'm going off here. God prophesied it. Um, the, 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 the sin, secondly, of the surrounding nations had matured to such a degree where God said, now is the time. Come out so I can cause you to bear judgment upon others. The Bible says specifically the Amorites, which I'll talk about, says the Amorites' sin have, have reached up to the heavens. Right? God needed to deal with them, but he needed a people to deal with them. Hmm? God's about to rout and deal with all disobedience. And then um, fortly, the fourthly was, um, the cry of Israel for freedom had been heard by God. Remember what God said? Let my people go. For I have heard what? The groans and the cries of my people. Tell your neighbor, groan. Don't moan. I'll talk about groaning versus moaning. It's one old sermon. There's too much complaining. And complaint is the carnal substitute for a groan in one's spirit. Four factors need to suntile. The suntile is the Greek word for matters coming to a head. And they need to come to a head simultaneously. A prophecy or word hanging over your life. God said to you, certain things. In your world, sin is escalating. And the sins of everyone around you is reaching maturity. And God needs you as a standard by which to judge that. Your Moses. Tell your neighbor, you have your Moses. But ask him, Have you met your Moses? (laughs) I know it's used in the wrong sense. Moses is your man that God sent into your life, your spiritual father that has been sufficiently prepared over an extended period of time through much dealings with God, and He Himself has come to maturity. Hmm? He himself has come to this place of maturity. And fourthly, is there a sufficiently loud enough groan within you crying out for your own maturity in your sonship when those four things are in place and they they come together, God says it's time. Tell that man, let my people go right Tell him, you know you know they they left in one night, eh? this wasn't like he has an email, listen in two months, we're out of here, prepare, make sure. Wrap up all your dealings in Egypt. No, the decision was made one night. All they had was one night to make the decision, and I believe God's about to do. God's about to do great things. I'm going to pray just now. But go to Genesis 15 quickly. Um, Genesis 15. I'm going to read a short portion. We're going to pray. Genesis 15, from verse 12. What happened in Genesis 14? We know you're Genesis. Genesis. Genesis 12, he receives the promise. Abraham, God says to him, I'll make you a promise. Uh, you'll be a father of many nations. Anyone who blesses you, I bless. Anyone who curses you, I curse. And you, all the families of the earth, will be blessed, etc., etc. Genesis 13, what happens there? He separates from Lot. There was his contention. Remember? Lot goes, and then, so they, they, they separate. In Genesis 14, Lot is captured by the coalition of four kings. Abram musters up his local household and he rescues his nephew Lot. Remember, in rescuing Lot, defeating Loma, he comes back a rich man with all the spoil from the war. Who does he meet first? Melchizedek, and he gives him what? A tithe and a tenth of all his possessions. He tithes to the spiritual father that spoke into his life, Melchizedek. He tithes to him. That's Genesis 14. Now, Genesis 15, after these things, it starts verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Abraham. Right? And God starts to inform him of certain realities. You can read the whole chapter. But because of time, from verse 12. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Think about this, brethren. He's come back from a major victory. He's tithed and he's honored his spiritual father in Melchizedek. He's man of God. He's, he's, he's honored him. Genesis 15, the Bible says, Now the word of the Lord comes to this man. The first part of his suffering is glorious. eh? God says to him, I will be your shield. And your reward from me will be very great. I will protect you. And there's this wonderful promise to Abraham. And then suddenly you read this. It says, "The sun at the end of the day, the sun was going down, and a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell on him. Theologians call this the dark night of the soul." It's when you go into deep depression." And this hit Abram, right goes into deep depression. God said to Abram, God speaks to him in the state that he's in. Know for certain your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. It was actually 430. God's original intent was only 400. He, pro- he says this to Abram. They will be enslaved 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they serve. And afterwards, they will come out with what? Rich. They're going to leave Egypt with gold. And by the way, they did. You must read the account in Exodus. The Bible says when, when, when God gave them that instruction, God deliberately through Moses instructed them, they must go and knock on every Egyptian's house and take all the items of gold. Not by force, just ask for it and they will give. By that time, the Egyptians were so tired of these plagues. Any request the Israelites asked, they would simply, please get out of here, go. Take all the gold, go. They went out rich, rich. I think it was payback for 430 years. You know, you payback. 430 years of, of hard labor. And that gold was originally intended to build gods tabernacle, in the wilderness, right? Remember they, 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 they made the golden calf with it, right? They misused it for the wrong purpose. But all that is prophesied to Abram. Question, is Isaac born yet? Does he have any son yet? He doesn't have even a son. There's no, there's no Isaac, there's no Jacob, there's no 12 sons, there's no structure for the nation. But God is informing the patriarch. God is informing the father of faith. Of things that are going to happen years ahead. What is faith? Abraham is the father of faith. Faith has got the ability to see into the distant future. You can know of things to come. And sometimes God will inform you to make you strong. Obviously, this is bad news. Which of you would like to know this? What if God comes to you with Nolan Clinton and says, Oh, by the way... uh, You'll have, you're going to have 10 children. This is not a process, like an illustration. You're going to have 10 children. And each of them will become a, almost a tribe in their own right. They'll be strong. But he has bad news. For 400 years, they're going to be subjected to a strong, mighty nation. will impoverish them, drive them as slaves. Natalie, how will you the father feel? You can understand why this deep darkness falls on Abraham. Right? He goes into almost what seems like a depression. But God says, I will judge the nation. They will, afterwards, they will come out with with many possessions. But as for you, you will go to your fathers in peace. In other words, God promises Abraham you will die in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God says, I have to wait at least four generations so that the sins of the Amorites reaches its climax. At that point in time, I will orchestrate their release. Now, everyone said this is a prophecy. Does, God, does God's word fail? Is God a man that he should lie? Right? You know, Joseph knew this prophecy. This prophecy was passed on, I believe, from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, and to the boys. And Joseph even said, when we leave, don't leave my bones yet. Take my bones with you. And I, I, I spoke to you about that. I'm saying all of this to say this. This is the first factor. There was a prophecy hanging over the nation of Israel concerning their return back to the land of Canaan. God's word had to come to pass. When you examine the escape from Egypt, the prophecy is a vital factor in your consideration. With all the other factors, yes, the preparation of Moses, the, the, the sins of the Amorite and other surrounding nations reaching its height, the, the intense groan that had developed in a corporate nation, all those reached God's ears. Yes, all things came together. But right at the start of things, there was a word from God. God said that you will not be here. Your descendants will not be here for forever. They will return. Amen. Now, my question to us today is, do you have a prophecy? Do you have a promise? Do you have an awareness of God's will for your life? I am no doubt that even this series has come at this time, I believe, when things that are hanging prophetically in abeyance are about to materialize in your life. Things are about to come to pass. God is not a man that he should lie. Hath he not said it and will he not? Do it, right? As the representation of God before you, as God's son, as God's servant, I'm declaring over you, your time has come, and some of you don't even know it. There were maybe some Israelites in Egypt living that day. Possibly would have opted to have stayed in Egypt. I don't doubt there were some, although the scriptures don't record it. Maybe some didn't believe Moses, right? Remember it says they did not believe him because of their cruel bondage. He came in and said, the Lord is taking us out. The next verse says, and some did not believe him because of the cruel bondage. I want to encourage you. Now is not the time to disbelieve God concerning what he has promised you. It's, It's an opportune time for prophetic word to come to pass. It is your almond tree moment. Remember Jeremiah 1? I think 9 or so. God said, to Jeremiah, what do you see? He said, I see the branch of an almond tree. God said, you've seen right. You see, God, this was Jeremiah 1. Jeremiah had serious doubts about his own prophetic capacity. He says, did you really call me? I'm, I'm so young. I can't fulfill this. God said to him, I've called you as a prophet to the nations. Before you were uh, conceiving your mother's womb, I ordained you to be a prophet. And it's not just an ordinary prophet, a prophet to the nations. He, Jeremiah says, he, me, who, me? And it's not just local prophet, it's prophet to the nations. So I think the magnitude of the thing bore on him, he says, I can't. And the next verse, God decides to instill confidence in the prophet by training him prophetically, asking him a question. What do you see? Come on, prophet, open your eyes. I'm going to break this lack of confidence in you. Open your eyes, prophet Jeremiah. What do you see? And if you know the book of Jeremiah, he often prophesies by pictures. So God was developing that skill. And what does what does what does he say? Jeremiah says, Well, he doesn't see the natural. He says, In the spirit, what do you see? He says, I see the branch of an almond tree. And God says, You've seen. Well, well done. For I am ready to hasten my word, to fulfill it. Right? The almond tree is the first to blossom. When seasons turn and when seasons change, it blossoms right at the end, I think of the winter, before the new season breaks, when things should blossom. This one blossoms ahead of the season as the season's about to turn. It's in essence telling all the other trees. Hey, it's time. Spring is around the corner. It's time to come forth. Now think about the wording. God says to him, you have seen. What? You've seen? Well, for I am ready to do what? The word is hasten, fast track, accelerate, push with speed. My word. To fulfill it. And he uses the imagery of the almond in the mind of the prophet. So Jeremiah is under no doubt after that. Everything I prophesy now. Is going to come to pass with speed. You know I'm here to encourage the house. I can go through every single one of you. Now is not the time to, to doubt God. Now is not the time to fear. Now is not the time to disbelieve. Open your eyes of faith. Like in the, in, the, in the incident of Israel. Um, the time of the deliverance was ordained. By a prophetic word. Generations before. That God gave to the patriarch. Abraham, And they were living in the moment. Of its fulfillment. I'm here to declare to every one of you. You are living in the moment. Of a word being fulfilled in your lives. Open your eyes to see it. Don't base Your your existence on natural things. Open your eyes and see what the Lord is about to do with you. Tell your neighbor, God is hastening His word concerning you. Just find somebody else, but say that like you're prophesying. God, Elvis, God will hasten His word concerning you. Believe that. Every single one of you. Brad, don't give up. Gordon, don't give up. Wesley, don't give up. Shan, don't give up. Nico, don't give up. Now is not the time to fail. Stand your ground. Believe what God said and push. Do not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. Do not consider the, militing, the militating factor that is pushing against the purposes of God coming to pass in your life. When things seemingly fail around you, remind yourself, God said. Right? God gave us a word today. Sunday, that we're living in a moment of prophetic word coming to pass. We're living in this season. Now is not the time to fail. It'll be too costly. It'll be too costly. You see, if they did not believe Moses on that night, Moses had the grace to deal with Pharaoh. Moses had the grace to confront Pharaoh. An ordinary Israelite did not have that grace to come before Pharaoh's courts. But God had a methodology in place. If Moses left and you decided a week later, I'm also going, guess what? There's no way you're leaving. You'd have to deal with the might of Egypt then. Right? When God afforded you an opportunity in a time of visitation to go, and you did not. Amen? I'm preaching to myself. I'm encouraging myself in the Lord my God. Amen? Amen? God's word will surely come to pass. Stand with me, stand with me. You know Moses probably was living with full knowledge of this reality. And as he confronted Pharaoh, he must have known, hey, it's time and the seasons have come to climax. So I'm not going to mo- I'm not going to confront Pharaoh in my own strength. I'm going on the power of a prophetic word. Promise to my forefather Abraham, it's amazing what a word of god can do a word from god a valid word from god can propel you to do things in fearlessness in the face of circumstances which ordinarily will have will have paralyzed you with fear but not so because you've heard god you are standing strong amen